Pass to left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing to yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounce. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. Okay, let's get things going on this Friday, November 17th. Welcome to our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Aaron Vickers from NHL.com. My name is Pat Steinberg, and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit Calgary Lock and Safe. Dot com. Hello, Vix. Patrick, how are you this fine Friday? Got a little juice on I know, this Friday. Little courtesy Logan Gordon, Logan of all people. Logan Gordon's got us all riled up. Yep, with let's go. Garbage shenanigans. Um, Give Elias Lindholm a ton of credit, because I really thought that this guy answered a bell on Thursday night. So he entered Thursday's game goalless in 10 straight. He had not registered a point in nine of those 10 games. So he had two points in his last 10 games. Both assists. Both assists in the same game. And he was asked about it. We we were very, uh, that was a big part of our first hour on Thursday's show. We were pretty critical and we're asking the question, what's going on with Elias Lindholm? His play has dropped. They need more from their number one center, especially in a contract year. And on Thursday morning prior to the game, he was asked about his offensive struggles and addressed it. I think I had chances. Um, just got to put him in. Uh, uh, you know, it would have been different if I, you know, just get around, didn't have any chances and so on. So uh, it will come. I think, uh, you know, uh, as long as we, you know, the team is playing well and uh, I don't know, I'm a word and focused on that. Uh, it's all about the winner. How are you feeling about your overall game? And I guess as a player, as long as you're getting them, you feel okay. You certainly want to capitalize. But how would you evaluate the way you're playing? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously room for improvement, but uh, uh, I mean, uh, I think, uh, like I said, it will come. Um, you know, I uh, just got to work harder. And, and, you know, when I get those chances, got to, you know, don't grab my stick too hard and, and so on. So uh, just got to get back to basics. So that was Elias on Thursday morning. Then Thursday night in a big divisional game on home ice with the team trying to continue building momentum as they try to climb out of this hole they've dug for themselves. He gets a goal and three points. We thought he had four points, but then they took a inexplicably took an assist away from. Did him. you go back and look? Because I didn't. So how egregious was it? Or I was no, it not I, egregious I at all. I okay, back and, I'm just trusting the off ice officials. Fair uh, my guess is that Manjapani redirected or got a touch on it yeah. before it got uh, before it got to the net, and obviously um, Lindholm got an assist taken away on that. But gets a goal and three points. Could have been four. That's a promising game, and and he looked engaged right from puck drop. And I thought that Ryan Huska post game on Thursday night, um, I, I this is something that I had not observed myself until the coach said it. You're like, oh, that's actually a, that's a really good observation, which you'd hope for in an NHL head coach. Well, his vantage point is a little better because he's right behind the bench. You're up high, like. That you would have got a, it. You would have got it. Don't, don't Huska, sell yourself short Huska here. Huska and I on the same level when it comes to our understanding of the game. Uh, I, I'm kidding. Settle down, text line. Um, basically, he said he's got to tell. When he is going through the neutral zone and he is and moving through the neutral zone with speed, you know that he's on. And that was one of the things I noticed during the game. I was like, geez, Lindholm's jets are on. 
He is he's confident. He's got the puck and and possession through the neutral zone. He did a nice job with controlled zone entries. I just thought that Lindholm was engaged. And so what they got from him was what they needed from their number one center. And we were critical, very critical at times on Thursday when talking about Lindholm's game. And that's not saying that we were off base in doing so, but if we're going to be critical, I'm also going to make sure that we give credit where it's due because I thought that was a really important game from Elias. And I also think getting some points, as Mark Savard told us on our post-game show, like when you're a points guy, and, and Elias is more than just that, but when you're a guy who is leaned on to be an offensive leader and the points aren't coming, it's going to start messing with your head. So I think just from a confidence standpoint, being able to get a few on the board was important. And so I just I, I thought it was a really important game, and that was a big-time positive in what we saw. So I just salute, tip of the hat to Elias Lindholm in a big game going through some struggles of late, he came out to play. So I will tip my hat to him and be a Debbie Downer at the same time because Good, I okay. did think he was okay. better, and I I had this written down before you mentioned it by way of Ryan Huska. His feet were moving more than we've seen over the course of the past 10 games. But for me, he didn't absolutely blow the doors off. And and you know what? Any progress is good progress, but he didn't blow the doors off for me. He didn't look like a 40-goal, 40 40-assist 40 guy, but it was certainly a step in the right direction. Empty net goal, okay, you still have to finish it. Secondary assists, okay, but he did facilitate the plays in the offensive zone to put the Calgary Flames in a position to finish. And as I say, don't ask Al, you ask how many, but you do need to see some sort of progress in Elias Lind, who, who we both agree is the number one center on this team. And I think we saw the steps to doing that. So tip of the hat to him. Again, it's been a rough three weeks, month, for Elias Lindholm and for him to come out yeah. with a one goal, two assist performance, potentially a one goal, three assist performance. That's more of the Elias Lindholm, the Calgary Flames need than, than the opposite of what we we're going to call it an unofficial four point night. Okay. That's what we'll call it. Um, and honestly, Thursday was probably the first time I have like Thursday's flames talk in the afternoon was probably the first time ever I have been quite critical of, of Lindholm. That's, let me, that's let me how just, big a fan I am of the player. And it was only the, the offensive elements. I still think he was doing a lot of great things For defensively sure. and on For the penalty sure. kill. The offensive numbers just weren't translated. And 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 he was, without question, struggling at that end of the ice. And, and one game is great, and he knows that he needs to keep that going. But I think that the fact that we were, I, I think it was somewhat surprising that we were having the conversation that we had. I think right, I think the conversation we were having was a valid conversation, yeah. but the fact that we were having it is pretty surprising. Just knowing how reliable and consistently effective Lindholm has been since joining the Calgary Flames. And I think to a degree, and you can agree or disagree on this, he was quietly ineffective offensively over that 10-game stretch. I never really watched any single game and went, oh man, Elias Lindholm has been just atrocious from center ice into the offensive zone. Like that was a very quiet, hasn't scored in 10 games. It wasn't something that, and maybe, maybe Jonathan Huberto and his struggles were so grand and so much a topic of discussion that Elias Lindholm flew under the radar. But when you went and looked at the game log, it's like, oh geez, Lindholm hasn't scored in 10 straight and he's been pointless in nine of 10. What's going on? But credit to him for immediately, I, Immediately, in terms of us talking about it, uh, changing the narrative, yeah. changing the direction no, of he, how he was he performing heard offensively. And we fired Absolutely. 
Must have been the uh, the drive-in he heard us for sure. I think we call this the Backlund bump, and there's the Flamestock bump. I think that's exactly what he got. I like it. I like uh, it. This from Mike on the text line at 969.60. Pat, I would have bet good money last night that Lindholm was going to have a good game against the Canucks. Really liked his game against the Canadians the game prior to. Now that he and Huberdo are away from each other, I think they'll be more productive. The text line's open at 960-960. Your eyes Well, you there. ran the numbers yesterday on the splits uh, together and away for each individual, and Lindholm and Huberto separate had worse numbers than when they were together, which absolutely shocked me, to be honest. And I'm curious to see if they do spend more time apart, how how that's going to go, because not on the same line together on Thursday, Huberto snapped an 11-game goal to Strout in the third period. He finished with a goal and an assist. And you know what? First of all, good on the fans at the Scotiabank. Yes, thank you. They gave him that huge ovation when Beasley announced his goal in the third period. I thought that was neat. Uh, That was uh, very good. That's what what good fans who want their team and their players to do well do. So good on the the Saddledome for doing that. And and, uh, Jonathan took notice of it as well. I take it in. I think it's nice to get the you know support from the crowd. They've been patient, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know it's, it's, it's nice obviously, but you know hopefully that can just get get me going. You know I think it's a good game. We our line we created a lot of chances, so I think we just got to take that and do it for for next game. So a goal and an assist for Jonathan Huberto. Three points for Elias Lindholm on Thursday night. So see if both can keep that going. I want to keep the. Huberdo conversation going on Friday's Flames Talk. So it's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you. It's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. And uh, we're going to welcome in uh, from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. We're going to welcome in Vanessa Keswer, who uh, it was uh, about two weeks ago, just a little bit more than two weeks ago, that Vanessa wrote a really in-depth article about Jonathan Huberdeau's start to the season about his struggles to start this year and and even his overall struggles since uh, joining the Flames. I know a lot of people have the opportunity to, re- to read the article. It, it was yeah. really, I, I think I've probably read it six or seven times now and gone through the different video clips in there. Uh, it's up at sportsnet.ca still right now. It, it's an absolute must read for Flames fans. We have Vanessa on the line with us right now because I want to go through some of her observations and uh, Vanessa with a scouting background with some really interesting observations that I just would never have picked up myself without reading the article. So, uh, from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, Vanessa joins us on the program right now. Vanessa, appreciate the time. How are we doing today? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, no problem. And and I, I, I guess... I could uh, go on and on and describe the article, but you you wrote it. I, I guess just in, in your words and from your perspective, what went into putting that piece on Jonathan Huberdeau together? Yeah, so like the rest of us, I uh, was trying to figure out and trying, trying to make sense of what was going on with him. Um, so I was watching him pretty much all of last season, um, looking at his puck touches specifically in the offensive zone and watching him in Florida to try and see what was working there and, and if there were any differences with Calgary. And then I started to dig into the numbers and you kind of piece things together and, and trying to see where there were differences in the team style of play, uh, the way that his teammates were operating, the way he was operating, um, and just like what those disconnects were. So the idea of the piece was just trying to offer a, a more nuanced perspective, I guess, of yeah. what I saw was happening with him. So, 
would it be safe to say, like, as as you read the article and you go through it, and and we'll get into some of the the finer points on it, but would it be fair to say that conclusion wise, you kind of feel like Huberto's still a good player, and if certain adjustments are made, both with those around him and the way he's approaching things, that he can get back to being that really impactful player? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, a guy like that, he doesn't just lose his talent overnight, right? He's still he's still a very good hockey player. And I think one of those situations where, you know, you're trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole. Um, and I'm not suggesting that the team overhaul the way that they're playing or anything, but I think the key is just finding ways uh, to help him play more to his strengths. So both looking at small adjustments that he can make individually um, and then also looking at from a team perspective, I think I think it mostly boils down to his line mates and just finding ways to get him in sync with them and get them kind of thinking on the same wavelength. Um, and I think if, if those two things specifically start to happen a little bit, I think you'll see a bit of a shift. One of the, one of the things that came up a couple of times was – Jonathan and moving his feet and and being a little bit more uh, a little bit more active with his skating. I, I'm I'm curious from what you saw and you went shift by shift and game by game. How how important is that for him? Both when you're talking about his kind of danger factor off the rush and when the team's in the offensive zone and cycling. How important is that idea of of moving his feet a little bit more? Yeah, I think that's huge. Um... You know, when you get the puck, especially for a guy, like acceleration is not his strong suit. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. But the idea is that you don't want to put yourself in situations where you're getting the puck and being forced to accelerate at the same time. You want to get the puck with speed. Um, And when he does that, he is more dynamic and he can do more and be an individual threat. He can get off the wall. He can attack a defender one-on-one. He can manipulate coverage in different ways that open up more options for him. And I think also from like a cycle standpoint, um, Sometimes you see him getting knocked over along the boards pretty easily. I think the big thing there is that if he moves his feet sooner, he's going to be able to establish body position on, on defenders, and you won't see that same kind of thing anymore. So it, it's simple in, in theory to say that he needs to move his feet more, but in practice I think he has to be more conscious of just like the routes that he's taking and timing those routes well and, and making sure that he's making an effort to keep his feet going. I, and and it's, it's funny because I, as, as I was reading that, and and listening to you talk about it right now, it, it feels like just more and more comfort level and more and more reps and more and more comfort in terms of what's going to happen around him would allow that to happen a little bit more naturally, which kind of leads into the the other part of it. There's there's obviously the things that Jonathan can control, and then there's kind of the stuff away from Jonathan. And, and you highlighted a couple of things. And and so when we're talking about play on the rush and and generating offense on the rush. A couple things that you broke down were the importance of a, a more active group of defensemen with the Flames and kind of better support away from the puck with his teammates. Can you uh, can you kind of break that down for us and, and dive in on that a little bit? Yeah, so I think from a, a defensive standpoint, uh, obviously when the D activates, you have an additional layer, and Huberto's the kind of guy who he loves hitting the trailer, Uh, He's had a lot of success with that in Florida and that layer hasn't always been there in Calgary. And there have been times when he's looked for it and it's not there. And he ends up kind of making another play that he maybe doesn't want to make because of that. Um, And also when the D joins the rush, that also manipulates coverage because that's another threat that the the other team has to worry about. 
so it pulls players in different directions and there are more openings as a result of that and then from like more of a an angle standpoint and like passing conditions if guys are more calgary likes to head north off the rush so if guys are able to entertain some different routes and are more conscious of like reading off of one another they'll be able to create more passing angles for him because right now a lot of the times what you see is he's got two guys with him but they're both kind of at the same angle relative to where he is. So there's one defender who, if he's got a stick in the right spot, that kind of blocks the lane to both guys. Um, So instead of having multiple options, he maybe has one. Uh, So I think just if they can provide him with a little bit better puck support, basically making it easier for him to make passes and for them to receive passes. I think that's going to help everybody. And, and before we dive in on, on the, the offensive zone and the cycle side of things, I is we, we, as you said a little earlier, like you're, you're not suggesting the Flames completely overhaul the way they play just to suit one player. The, the, these are things that, in your eyes, could could be adjusted in the within the framework of the way the Flames play right now. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. I obviously you don't adjust a, a whole system or anything for one player, but. I think it was more so just an observation. Like if this happens a little bit more, it'll help him. Um, I think the main things are, are his line mates and figuring out a way for them to provide him with better support. And I don't think that involves changing any system pieces. And then I think focusing on on him individually and the things that he's doing. Uh, those are the two places that I would start. Okay. We're chatting with uh, Vanessa Keswer of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I really encourage you to go check out that article on Jonathan Huberto. Still very relevant as we're talking two weeks later. You also you also observed the importance of maybe Jonathan cycling a little higher once the Flames are in the offensive zone and get in on that ozone cycle. You know the the observation you had was uh, a, a higher cycle as opposed to the down low cycle fits Jonathan's game a little bit more. How come? Yeah, the low cycle, you're you're working in more congested ice. The pressure is heavier. You have defensemen who are more physical playing you, um, and you're being covered by defensemen who are skilled at taking away options with their stick and their body. And then if you're, if you're higher up in the zone, chances are you're being defended by a forward because D-men usually don't stray too far from their net. Um, the, you're not there isn't as much physical contact, I would say, and you have more time and space and options, and you're also looking down at the net, so your vision is better. Um, and I think all those things kind of play into Huberto's game. He's not a guy who likes physical play particularly. Um, vision is his strong suit. Having time and space to operate is always a good thing. So, uh, yeah. So as we wrap it up, I'm just curious, and and goes back to the, the beginning of our chat, but how realistic in your eyes is it that, you know, if a, a couple of these tweaks are made, both things that Jonathan can control and, and some things kind of in the environment around him, how, how realistic is it in your eyes that he gets back to being a point-per-game guy or close to a point-per-game guy? As you pointed out, the four seasons prior to him getting to Calgary, Vanessa, he was a point-per-game guy in all of those seasons. Is, is that a, a realistic return to form? Is that something that, that could be in his future in your eyes? Yeah, I think it's realistic. Um, I'm not sure how easy it'll be to get to that point, but I do think it's realistic. I think if... Uh, Back to what I said originally at the at the start of the interview, I think if he and the staff work with him on finding ways that he can play more to his strengths and 
help him get more in sync with his line mates. I think to me, you have to leave him with Backlund. Like I like him with Backlund. And I think if they can figure it out a little bit, you might start to see a different player. Um, I think that's, that's the big thing is just, you want him to play to his strengths. He's a good player. And right now he's, he hasn't been playing enough to his strengths. Um, we really appreciate the time. I, I, I really did. The article was awesome. It's, uh, it's a must-read for Flames fans. And I, just, before we, uh, just before we let you go, just a little bit on your background, Vanessa. I know you're working with uh, our Hockey Central crew now and, and our Sportsnet crew in getting things prepared for pregame shows, so on and so forth. But so you, your background, scouting in the USHL, uh, some time with Toronto Metropolitan University as well. What, uh, what, what's the scouting background for you? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much just outlined it. So I was with the Chicago Steel of the USHL for three seasons. Uh, and then I was with the uh, TMU's women's hockey team for a season before that as a video analyst. Uh, I was a video scout with Chicago. And then uh, before that, I did a bit of uh, video scouting with Neutral Zone, which is uh, an independent um, scouting website. Very so. cool. Very cool. Do we? Uh, are, are you going to continue tracking... Jonathan going forward like is that something that you're like hey this is kind of an interesting project to keep going I'll probably keep an eye on him yeah but uh have some other stuff that I'll be working on so we'll see yeah the uh and the piece on Nikita Kucherov your first piece was uh was really interesting as well I know you got to get I know you got to bounce I know you got some uh, real work to get to we really do appreciate the time that was uh that was a lot of fun that was really insightful thanks for doing this Vanessa really appreciate it thanks so much for having me guys that is Vanessa Kesworth, Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. You can uh, check out her piece. Uh, just go type in Vanessa Kesworth. It's K-E-Z-W-E-R. And uh, immediately the link to her Sportsnet.ca page will pop up. The Nikita Kucherov interview she did, uh, the Nikita Kucherov piece she did, rather, was was really well done. And then locally, the the stuff on Huberto was, was real. I, I honestly yeah. probably read it six or seven times and, and went through her video breakdowns probably more than that, which were really, really important. Yeah, the video element of it to help illustrate the points really drives the uh, the analysis home. And as you go through it and read it, in your own mind, if you, you're watching Jonathan Huberto game in, game out, you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, just like you, I encourage all the listeners to go check it out because it really does detail and highlight what's working and not working in Jonathan Huberto's game. Uh, that's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. It's Steinberg and Vickers along for the ride. I, The thing that was most noticeable on the Huberdeau front after he snapped his goal is throughout and he had the two-point game against Vancouver, just like the, the relief. I thought it was awesome yep. that... The saddle, the, the loudest point, at least by my observation, the loudest point of the game was when Beasley announced Jonathan Huberdeau scoring that 4 1 goal early. Unquestionably in the third. for it, me. It was awesome. I was just like, hey, good on Flames fans. That's, that's what, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a savvy, smart Saddle Dome crowd who is pumping up one of their players that everybody knows is struggling. So I thought that was cool. But I also just, the, the look on his face when he went upstairs on Casey DeSmith to make it 4 1, you're like, Oh, he knows. It was a he, bit of a snipe goal. It was. And he, he was, it wasn't lost on him. 
It's been a while <laughs> since he scored, I guess is what You I'm noticed a bit of a grin and a sense of relief. Did you end a massive bear hug from Michael Backlund? Yeah. Perhaps? You know, the look to the sky, all of that yeah. type of stuff. Not only that, though, but after he scored that goal, I remember a play late in the third period. He was along the boards on the left side, on my side of the ice sheet, yep. where he was around the hash marks. And he was battling two Vancouver Canucks for a loose puck. And not only did he out-battle the pair of them with his body positioning, but he also made a little skilled play to, to fish the puck out from both of them to get it back to the point. And that was one of those things where I'm like, I wonder if that goal can truly be a turning point for him because it was a high skill play. Not every high skill play has to result in a scoring chance or a goal. Like he can make high skill plays along the boards in the neutral zone, in his own end, even when he's defending. And just to kind of see a little bit of that confidence come back in his ability to make a, a maybe a low percentage high skill play in that sense. I wonder if he can just start stacking momentum, momentum, momentum to get him back to where we all think he can play. We where we all think he can be at. Pardon me. Um, I can tell you uh, just before uh, we get to the Daily Flames roundtable, I can tell you that the uh, Townsend Tigers won again. So Flames, big win, <sighs> big win over Vancouver on Thursday. You know what? Juggernaut. And then Friday afternoon, a 40th consecutive loss to the Townsend Tigers. One of these days, that's going to become a story. If maybe the Flames could pick up a victory of themselves. But the uh, the juggernaut, the wagon, the the absolute unstoppable force that is the Townsend Tigers did it for a 40th consecutive year. I don't have a final score yet, but I'm not expecting it to be close, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, so not everything, not everything is fixed for the Calgary Flames. So good on the Townsend Tigers. Good on the Flames and the Flames Foundation for doing that again. That is awesome. Uh, the Flames uh, Twitter account, X account, just went and yeah. uh, posted some pictures. Uh, good stuff. Awesome, as always. Um, Steinberg Vickers, we're underway this hour. Whether you're a fan of sports or a fan of great deals, our friends over at 403 Local, they are the place to be. So every time the local hockey heroes hit the ice, you get the game day special at 403 Local. It's two beers and a pizza for just 20 bucks. You're not beating that value. On Sundays, you can watch the football game, all the uh, Sunday action with 50-cent wings and happy hour all day. How about that? Just got a great... Uh, They've got like 360-degree TVs there as well. So you get your 50-cent wings, happy hour, and a great NFL experience. Wings are also on Wednesdays. On Monday at 403 Local, dry ribs, just 5 bucks a pound. They also have daily happy hour, 3 to 6 p.m. They have lunch specials weekdays from 1130 till 230, plus 403 Local available for private functions. Visit 403 Local in Canyon Meadows and at 403local.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time now for our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, a 5-2 win over Vancouver on Thursday night for Calgary, which bumps them to 4-1-1 in their last six. That contrasts a 2-7-1 start in their first 10. So a rough first 10, but uh, their next 10 game slate, they're off to a 4-1-1 start in their first six. 
been the biggest key or or what's been the biggest positive observation that you've seen in this reversal of fortune, guys? Well, for me, there are about a million things. And this isn't a sarcastic answer to uh, the question, what do you have to do to beat Team X? Uh, score more goals. <laughs> they've scored a lot more goals, guys. I mean, during their six-game losing streak, they scored a total of nine goals. I'm sorry. You can't win in this league scoring two very often, let alone one or none. They've scored 22 goals in their last six games and have gone 4-1-1. One, and one. So for me, the kind of high-level simple answer, they've done a better job putting the puck in their opponent's net, and they've in turn taken some pressure off their goaltenders because for the most part, and this goes back to last season too, it felt on a lot of nights like Jacob Markstrom or Dan Vladar or Dustin Wolf had to be pretty close to perfect to give the Flames a chance to win because they just weren't giving their goaltenders much breathing room. Every mistake became disastrous for the Flames in so many of the one goal games they played in last season and, and to a lesser extent this season. But, you know, they've been scoring some more goals. They've taken some pressure off their goaltender. And I mean, why are they scoring more goals? I guess that's another conversation we can have. But for me, that's kind of the simple answer right now. I'll take it one step further, Wilsey, and they've scored more and allowed less. And this is courtesy Sportsnet stats. In the first 10 games of the season, the Flames have scored an average of 2.2 goals per game, gave up 3.7, had an 874 team save percentage and a minus 15 goals differential. In this 4-1-1 run, they've scored 3.67 goals per game, allowed 2.67 against, collective 906 team save percentage and a plus 6 goal differential. So, the raw numbers show that the Calgary Flames are clearly doing something a lot better over the course of the past six games. For me in the eye test, they've been a lot better in the neutral zone overall, both attacking the offensive zone and defending and coming back to their own end. And I think a big part is they're starting to find a little bit of synergy on some of their lines. We were waiting through the first 10 games of the season for a top six line to click. And I think a lot of what we've seen over the course of the past six games can be credited to the fact that they finally found a scoring line in Zeri and Kadri and whether Sharon Govich or Pospisil on the other side, but they're managing to manufacture more offense. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it comes as a result of that line. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of things that when I when I wrote this question out and, and was like, let's let's start there on the round table, a lot of things that that kicked around my brain and um, I don't think that there is, that there's a big time coincidence that the six games they've been much better in have almost coincided to Connor Zeri's arrival with the team and have coincided with Martin Pospisil also joining the group. Zeri's got seven in, uh, started with a loss to Dallas, but a good game against Dallas despite the loss. And then Pospisil comes in the next game, and uh, they're 4-1-1 uh, they're one one since then. But And I, I definitely think that that infusion of, of youth and that infusion of excitement and just a little bit extra competition, just all of it, I think served as a shot in the arm. But the thing that I've noticed most is that pretty much since that Dallas game, the, the Flames have done a really nice job of, I think, riding momentum and doing it more effectively. Whereas, And I, I know that there was the, the game against Ottawa where the beginning of the third period kind of turned a close game into a bit of a runaway for the Senators and a few other 
Um, there's a few other things that we've seen that haven't been perfect, but I just their their ability to stick with their game and not get completely thrown off, whether it was the Nashville comeback or the Seattle comeback or Vancouver scoring first against them on Thursday night. They've they've done a pretty good job of you know falling down four one against Toronto. They just have done a nice job of not letting things phase them the same way that we saw too many times last year and how that kind of carried over into the first 10 games of this year. So that would be the thing that I think jumps out the most to me is, you know, we always talk about Wilsey, the, well, you got to play a 60 minute game. And we always talk about, well, that's not really possible. But what I like is the fact that they have stuck with their overall game and stuck with their details and looked like the same team over the course of 60 minutes far more and far better over the last couple of weeks than they had before. Yeah. The lows haven't been as low or as long as they were. Right. I mean, they played well for stretches during that six game losing streak. They'd play one good period or two good periods, but not three good periods. And when they weren't the better of the two teams, the other guys did too much damage and they weren't able to overcome that. And they started to turn it with what was pretty close to a full 60 minutes against the Stars. I remember that game correctly. They were good in the first, bad in the second, and then really good in the third and just couldn't complete the comeback. But when I think about the last six games they've played, so they've won four of them. They've got one regulation loss and one shootout loss. Now, the shootout loss, that was a a great game. They were down 4-1 in the second period. They battled back and, and found a way to pick up a point against a very good Maple Leafs team on the road. So, Did they play a full 60 minutes that night? No, but I would say pretty close. The next night, remember what happened after that Toronto game. Uh, The whole Nikita Zadorov trade request came out. Mm -hmm. And then I thought they played two good periods against the Senators in Ottawa. They were down 2-1, going to the third. They scored a goal. They killed off a couple of penalties. They got a power play that carried over from the second period to the third period. And... I think they started to lose their momentum when they didn't score on that power play or really generate much. But really what killed them in that game was the Zadorov giveaway that led directly to the 3-1 goal. And that really did take all the wind out of their sails. So outside of one bad period, and that would be the third period in Ottawa last Saturday, I don't think the Flames have played a bad period of hockey since they started the stretch of 4-1-1 and in their last six. I mean, maybe stretches of periods, but I think they've been a pretty consistent hockey team. The other thing for me, and it kind of jumped out to me watching practice today, guys, they're playing faster. And and Ryan Husk has talked this week about how he thinks the team is finally starting to really understand the, the new way of playing in the defensive zone. And he kind of, he kind of singled out the centermen because their role in how the flames are playing going for man on man last season to zone this season is so important. And if they're not doing their job, if they're not where they should be or doing what they should be doing, I think it just creates chaos for the wingers and for the defensemen. So the fact that the centermen seem to have really grasped this new way of playing in the defensive zone, I think has really helped the Flames. And as a result, instead of being out there thinking, where should I be? What should I be doing? They're just reacting now. So they're playing faster and playing faster. Yeah, skating faster is great, but it's more for me about how you think the game. Uh, you, you can't waste a split second thinking about what you should be doing or where you should be going. You've just got to react and do it. And, and I'm seeing that at practice and I'm seeing that in games as well. 
Yeah, I don't disagree. And just for me to, to boil it down to a real quick sentence, I think the consistency and compete has been at a better level for the Calgary Flames yeah. over the past six games. Daily Flames Roundtable, uh, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Friday Flames Talk. Backland Coleman Huberdo struggled mightily on Tuesday in Montreal. We're probably Calgary's worst line, all things considered, especially by some of the metrics that we can uh, have readily available to us. Two nights later against the Vancouver Canucks back on home ice, they might have been Calgary's best line, and if not, they were one of the two best lines with the Kadri line. Uh, we know that Coleman comes away with a couple of points, Backlund got on the scoreboard, and Jonathan Huberto snapped a goalless drought at 11 games and also added an assist in the game as well. So I know that finding lines and keeping lines has been a bit of a challenge for the Flames in the early stages of this season, but... What do we think? Could Backlund, Coleman, and Huberto on the left side, could that be a longer-term fit than maybe we might have given it credit for? Uh, it could be. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> ready to jump to that conclusion yet. It's been two games, and one of them was really bad, and one of them was pretty good. So we'll see what happens Saturday, and then I think we'll be a little bit closer to knowing if it's a threesome that can work. I do think it has the potential to be a long-term fit, but I also wonder if long-term it's the best fit for Jonathan Huberdeau as an individual and for Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman as a duo that, you know, if they're both healthy, I wouldn't touch them because they're just so good together at five-on-five and uh, do elevate whoever's playing wing uh, on the opposite side of Coleman because he can play left wing or right wing, so he's versatile in that sense, and he shifted back to the right side to allow Huberto to play left wing on that line. But one of the reasons why I think it can work is because, you know, Michael Backlund isn't really known as a goal scorer. He's known more as a 200-foot forward. But he is a three-time 20-goal getter, and he scored 19 last season when he had a career year. So it's not like he can't put the puck in the net. Blake Coleman has scored 20 on a couple of occasions in this league. So he can put the puck in the net too. So you got two guys who might not be your best shooters, but who can shoot it. And uh, when you've got your best passer setting them up, then maybe that helps Backlund and Coleman score some more goals. And for Huberto, you're putting him with two guys who have proven that they can elevate their wingers. So I, I think it can work in that sense. But just playing devil's advocate to myself, Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman on most nights get the tough matchups against the other team's top line. And they get a lot of defensive zone starts. For me, when I think about how Jonathan Huberto is built as a player, I think trying to get him away from those tough matchups and give him more offensive zone starts makes sense. So I can argue it both ways, guys. It worked well last night, and I think they should leave it together for a little while to see if it continues to work well. But I also think that at least on paper, uh, there are probably some better fits uh, for both Huberto as an individual and for Backlund and Coleman as a duo. Do I see Backlund and Coleman being the final home this season for Jonathan Huberto? No. But as a proponent of some consistency amongst the forward lines, I run it out for an indefinite amount of time. And I said this even after Tuesday's 2-1 win against the Montreal Canadiens, where the Huberto-Backlund-Coleman line got absolutely caved in. And I'll say it after a 5-2 win against the Vancouver Canucks where that trio was one of Calgary's better lines. I fully endorse a 5-10 to 10 game stay 
for Jonathan Huberto on a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, simply because, as we've discussed, they may not be the most offensive-minded players, but they are certainly the quote-unquote fixers when it comes to forwards for the Calgary Flames. I run out the line. I give them plenty of time together, give them a big sample size in terms of what they might be able to do or what they might not be able to do, but I don't just change my mind as to where that trio should be or where Jonathan Huberto slots on a game-by-game basis. I want to see some consistency amongst the forward lines, and that's a home for Jonathan Huberto, at least for the short term for me. Yeah, I'm curious. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't write it off. And the only reason I say that is because I actually thought last year that was the best place for Huberto. I thought last year playing with Backland and at times Coleman, mostly Coleman on the right side of that line, I actually thought that was the most effective Huberto was at 5-on-5 five five last year. Um, so... I'm I'm curious to see how long it lasts for. I, I think I would be on the same page with you guys in saying that ultimately do I think that is where Huberto is going to be? No, because I think ultimately if this team stays as is and gets back into a playoff conversation and we're talking about this team being a group, they're like, okay, you know, what – is, is, is this a team that can get into a Pacific Division playoff spot or a wild card spot? Like, if we get there and we're having those conversations in December and January, I think the backland line being used as the shutdown line that it is, is the way this team's going to have the most success. And thus, I don't know if Huberdo is best suited there. But as it stands right now, as they're desperately trying to get Huberdo going, and as that quest continues, then yeah, I, I think it's got a little bit of long-term life in it. I think there's there's a 10 or 12 or 15 game stretch where this could be a line that, that could help get Huberdeau's game to a slightly different level. And then you can maybe look at something else. So that would be how I, so the answer would be, yes, I do think it's got a longish term fit in it, but I don't necessarily know if it's got a permanent season long fit in it. Okay. Let's take this conversation one step further. So the way I see it, you're not touching the cadre line right now. Right. I mean, him and Zeri have been terrific together, regardless of who's been on the right side of that line. They were good with Sharon Govich. They've been good with possible. So are we in agreement that you don't touch that line? Yes. Kind of, but like, what about, okay. what, what about if Zeri and Kadri continue to play well, Zeri can flip to the right. Could you not, if, if that line continues rolling, could you not put Huberto there? Like I, I just I know that Kadri and Huberdo have never been the sexiest fit together, but the way that Kadri and Zeri are playing, could Huberdo feed mm. off that? I really wonder all of a sudden. Maybe, but you know what? I mean, Zeri's playing so well on left wing. Do you want to move him? I'm not touching him right now. I'm not touching him. I'm not touching Kadri. If they want to, I'm confident. I'm confident he could do it on the right side too. I I know, but I just wouldn't mess with him right now. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm not, and I'm not doing this right away. I'm just thinking yeah, if this yeah. down Anyways, the road. Uh, just to, to try to get to my point, I know I'm kind of stretching it out here. So I wouldn't touch Kadri uh, with Zeri. Again, if you want to swap Pospisil for Sharon Govich, whatever. So I'm not, I'm not playing Huberto with Kadri as the centerman. I'm not playing Huberto on the fourth line with Sharon Govich or Dubé or whoever's centering that line. And... Really, that only leaves you one other option, and that option would be putting them back with Lindholm. They've tried that for a year plus. It hasn't worked, and 
The reason I wanted to go here is because last night, I think Elias Lindholm played his best game of the season. And I know it didn't start this way, but it ended this way. He did so playing in a line between Andrew Majapani and Dylan Dubé. So as important as it is for the Flames to get and keep Jonathan Huberto going, I would argue it's equally as important, maybe even more important, for them to get and keep Elias Lindholm going. And if that means playing him away from Huberto and with Majapani and Dubé or whoever, it worked well last night, then I think you've got to factor that in as well. I wouldn't mess with the combination of Kadri and Zeri. I, I would tinker with who you may want on the right side. And for right now, I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable leaving Pospisil there. And to your point, Willsey, I think Elias Lindholm was a lot better against the Vancouver Canucks, but I'm still okay with tinkering with that a bit if and when I see fit. And so by process of elimination, I think I just leave Huberto, Backlund, and Coleman together for the time being. Just for hmm. one, for sake of consistency. Two, again, if you look at the metrics from last season, it was one of, it, it was Huberto's best landing spot on the season last year. So I just run it out a little bit again. Just one, to see if you can continue to positively influence Huberto. Two, to not adjust the cadre line at all. And then three, continue on and see what uh, Elias Lindholm can do with his line mates. Uh, good stuff, gents. Uh, talk to you tomorrow. See you at the rink tomorrow, Wilsey. And uh, have a good rest of your Friday. Thank you, pal. Yeah, everybody should remember, 5 o'clock start tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, Weird start is. time on a Saturday. I don't quite understand it. I'll take it. The right. Islanders. But yeah, it'll be fun when it's done. Early, uh, early hockey night in Canada game at the Dome. I like it. Bye, Wilsey. Bye, guys. He's Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. As that's our Daily Flames Roundtable. It's brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. As we start to wrap up this hour, Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. And our producers this hour, Taylor and Cam, thanks for being along with us on this Friday. That'll do it for the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. This Christmas, give the gift of security with smart locks and safes. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.